today we are going to wrap up our series entitled Three Questions. And we began three weeks ago talking about the first three questions asked in the Bible. All three of those questions come out of Genesis chapter 3. And we begin to recognize that how we answer those questions determines not only the quality of our life, but ultimately determines our eternity. So today we're going to look at the third question, but let's dive right into Genesis chapter 3 uh, and just reread our foundational scripture, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, here's the first question, did God really say? Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from the tree in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It is only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it, for if you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And then the Lord God called to the man, second question, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Third question, who told you that you were naked? And the Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? So let's recap real quick. The first question, did God really say, right, is a demonic attack. We recognize that it's a demonic attack from the enemy against the authority of the Word of God. And every generation has to answer the question, did God really say? Because the first step to believing a lie is that you begin to question or doubt the truth. The moment you begin to question the authority of the Word of God and you begin to say, did God really say, all of a sudden that is the open door to believing the lie of the enemy that wants to corrupt and ultimately destroy our lives. The second question that Pastor Rick shared with us last Sunday, where are you, is really an invitation, right? God invites us to do a personal evaluation of our lives. And I've just heard overwhelming feedback this week from so many different people how that message and that little question, right, where are you, where are you, right? God is asking us that every day because where we are really does reveal how we are, right? Our position reveals the real condition of our heart and our life. And last week we talked about the significance of that personal evaluation of our life, knowing where we are so we can get an accurate revelation of how we really are doing in relationship to God. The third question that we're going to look at today is who told you? God asked Adam and Eve, who told you? Who told you, he said, that you were naked? This question, I want you to see this, challenges us to discern and decide which voice we'll listen to. This question from God, who told you, is a challenging question. God is challenging us to stop for just a second and begin to discern and then decide whose voice we're going to listen to and ultimately whose voice we're going to follow. Every day we are bombarded by voices, right? Right? 
Every day the world is trying to tell us we ought to look like, we ought to act like, we ought to be like this person, that person. If you look like this, you would be happy. If you had this, you would be happy. If you obtained this, you would be important. And every day we are bombarded by the voices of the enemy that is trying to tell us not only what we're supposed to be, but most importantly, and more common than not, the devil tries to tell us what we're not. And God asks the question, who told you? Who told you you weren't good enough? Who told you you weren't loved? Who told you you would never fit in? Who told you nothing good would ever happen to you? Who told you nothing would ever change in your life? Because every day we are being bombarded with the lies and accusations of the enemy, and the devil is trying to tell us what God is trying to convince us the opposite of, and that is the truth of God. Who told you, God said? Who told you? Think about it. How many times in a day are you told something? Are you told the lies and accusations of the enemy that try to undermine who God has called and created me and you to be? God said, who told you? Now, what's interesting about this question, if you look at that next point on your outline, is this question, who told you? that challenges us to discern and then decide which voice we're going to listen to and ultimately which voice we're going to follow. This question, who told you, really challenges me to think about why. Have you ever wondered why we so easily believe the wrong voices? Have you ever wondered why we so easily believe the wrong voices and why we struggle so hard to believe the right voice? I mean, why in the world did Adam and Eve listen to the devil? instead of listening to God. Now, to be honest with you, I don't know why they did what they did, right? They were a perfect couple living in a perfect world, and they had a perfect relationship with God. But somehow in the midst of that, they still believed the wrong voice, followed the wrong path, and ultimately brought sin and destruction to the whole world. Have you ever wondered why? Why is it that you can remember a critical word years later but you can't remember a complimentary word a week later? Why is it that you can remember what was said to you when you were eight years old that was a criticism? And why is it that you can't remember what was said to you last week that was a compliment? You ever wonder why? Why in the world do we find it so easy to believe the wrong voices, and why do we struggle so hard to believe the right voice? Why is it so hard for us to believe that we are loved, and we are accepted, and we are significant, and we are valuable, and we are important, and we do have a place to play in God's family, and that God wants to use us and work through us to do supernatural, mighty things? Why is it so hard for us to believe that God could use us, that God could love us, that God could work through us, that God desires us, that God wants to bless us, that God wants to prosper? for us? And why is it so easy for us to believe that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not handsome enough, we're not pretty enough, we're not educated enough, we're not qualified enough? Why is it? Well, again, I don't know why Adam and Eve did, but I got a pretty idea, pretty good idea why we do. And the answer's right there on the screen. I believe the reason why is because of an unrenewed mind. See, unlike Adam and Eve, we were all born in sin. Adam and Eve gave us a gift. It wasn't really a gift. It was actually a curse. It was called the curse of sin. And every one of us was born in sin with a sin nature. And we live in a world that is stained and under the sway of the enemy. And we have what the Bible calls an unrenewed mind that the Scripture teaches us works in opposition to the things of God. 
So let's look in Romans chapter 8. I want you to see this. Romans chapter 8, 8 says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want to read that verse in the NLT translation. It says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. What does it mean to be carnally minded? It means to allow my sin nature to control my thoughts. If I allow my thoughts to be controlled by that carnal sin nature, then guess what? It will bring death. But if I allow my mind to be controlled by the Spirit and the Word of God, it will bring life and it will bring peace. Look what the Scripture goes on to say about the carnal sinful nature of our mind. Because the carnal nature, verse 7, is enmity. The word literally means hostile against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The carnal mind is enmity. It is hostile. It literally is resistant to the will, the plan, and the purpose of God for our lives. So how am I going to discern the right voice and not follow the wrong voice? How am I going to come to a place where it's no longer easy to believe the wrong voice, but actually easy to believe the right voice and follow the voice that God has for me? Romans chapter 12 tells us how we do it. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How am I going to be transformed in the image and likeness that God has for me? I'm going to have to renew my mind. I'm going to have to change the way I think. How do I change the way I think? By the Word of God. Let me tell you, the easiest way to discern the voice of God is to know the verse of God. God's verse gives clarity to God's voice. What God has said gives clarity to what God is saying. Why? Because God's not bipolar. God hadn't changed his mind. What God has said, God is still saying. And God never says anything that contradicts what he has already said. Why? Because his character hasn't changed. His nature hasn't changed. His heart hasn't changed. His will hasn't changed. His plan hasn't changed. So the more I know the verse, the more I am able to discern the voice of God and rightly discern which voice I'm supposed to follow. So I have to renew my mind. Now, we all have experienced this to some degree. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably have already experienced the power of a transformed mind. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Keith, wouldn't it be great if God just gave me a new mind? Well, he actually, by the Holy Spirit, did give you the mind of Christ. But now you have to renew your mind, the soulless realm of your body. You have to renew it with the Word of God. Well, I wish God would just do that for me. Well, guess what? Christianity is a relationship. How many of you understand uh, if you're married, that in order to have a good, healthy marriage, the husband has to do some things and the wife has to do some things? 
In order to have a good, healthy marriage, it requires a husband doing his part and the wife doing her part. In order to have a good, healthy family, it requires the parents doing their part and the children doing their part. In order to have a good, healthy work environment, it requires the boss to do his part and the employees to do their part. And guess what? When you don't do your part, then it just don't work. Let me give you some good news. God will do his part. But we got to do our part. What is our part? We got to renew our minds. We got to change the way we think by allowing the Word of God to become the standard of God in our heart and our minds. Because the more I am renewed in my mind, the more victory I have in my life. But because the more I am able to discern the voice of God and therefore reject the voice of the enemy. So we've all experienced this. Many of you right now can look back on your Christian life and you can say, you know what, when I first got saved, I really struggled with this. But somewhere along the line, you renewed your mind to such a degree that what used to be a struggle is no longer a struggle. Anybody got areas of victory in their life today? Come on. Anybody not where you used to be? <laughs> well, the reality is simply this. The areas that you have now obtained victory are the areas in which you have now renewed your mind according to the Word of God. So let's flip the coin. Any area in your life that you are currently still struggling with is an area in your life that has not yet been renewed. Any area in your life that you're still struggling with is an area in your life that has not yet been renewed. You have not yet renewed your mind to such a degree that you're no longer tormented by both voices, but now you're able to discern the right voice. I mean, when you begin to clearly recognize the voice of the enemy and you begin to clearly recognize the voice of God, making the right decision is not that hard. But when you don't know whose voice it is, you ever been in that place? I'm just not sure. I'm not really sure what I should believe. I'm not really sure what I should do. I'm not really sure how I should handle this situation. Every area of struggle in our life is an area that has not yet been renewed in our minds. So we have to be committed that's why Jesus said that you must continue in my word. You are my disciples if you continue in my word. Why? Because the verse gives clarity to the voice. Now look at that next point on your outline. I want you to see this. So the world, the flesh, and the devil try to conform us into their image. Every day we are bombarded by social media, by television, by radio, by advertisements, by billboards. We are, we, are, we are bombarded with the ideas and images of the world that says if you look like this, you'll be happy. If you look like this, you'll be important. If you look like this, you'll really be cool. If you look like this, or if you have this, or if you drive this, or if you own this, or if you talk this way, or if you walk this way, then you'll have whatever it is you need to have in order to be happy. And we are daily being bombarded by the voice of the world, our own carnal nature, and the devil trying to conform us into an image that is not the image that God has for us. But God doesn't want to conform you. God wants to transform you. The word transform is the Greek word metamorphos, where we get our word metamorphosis, literally to turn a caterpillar into a butterfly. God wants to transform you into the person he created you to be. And I just want to make one statement about this. The only person that has the right to define you is the one that created you. 
The only person that has the right to define you is the one that created you. And that's not even your mom and dad. That is God. He's the only one that has the right to define you because he's the only one that knows what you were created to be, right? The Bible says this. It says we were made by God and we were made for God. God made you for himself. He made you for his glory. And you, and you and I are intended to be transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus and to become the person that God has called us to be. And nobody else has the right to define you except the one that created you. Amen? So let's talk about some of the wrong voices that try to speak into our lives. The voice of accusation, the voice of deception, and the voice of temptation are the wrong voices. Those are not the voices of God. God is not accusing you. God is not deceiving you. And God is not tempting you. Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 tells us that Satan is the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God day and night, and he has been cast down. John 8, Jesus said of Satan that he has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. He is a liar and the father of lies. James 1, verse 13 says, and remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So look at that point again, the voices of accusation. Satan is the accuser of the brother. Do you remember Jesus when he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, the Bible says, to be tempted by the devil. You know what's interesting? Did you, did you remember what Satan said to Jesus? This is what he said. If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. An accusation. He was accusing. He was questioning his identity. He was questioning his power. He was questioning his authority. If you really are the Son of God then turn these stones into bread. If you really are the Son of God, then throw yourself off the temple. If you are the Son of God. An accusation undermining his identity, undermining his sufficiency, undermining his ability. Let me just say this to you today. God is never in heaven accusing you. God is not accusing you. God is not judging you. God is not shaming you. God is not condemning you. He is never questioning your identity. He is always affirming your identity. You are the Son of God. You are the daughter of God. You are my Son in whom I am well pleased. That's the voice of God. The voice of accusation is always the wrong voice. Think about how it works. I, I know that all of you guys are really holy, but maybe you know somebody like this. Have you ever seen a Christian that didn't always act like a Christian? <laughs> you ever said something or did something that you wish you hadn't have said or hadn't have done? Isn't it amazing that when you have those moments, the devil comes in and he says, and you call yourself a Christian? Do you really think you're a Christian? If everybody at church heard how you just talked, nobody at church would think you're a Christian. I can't believe you would even dare to think you're a Christian. Who do you think you are? Y'all ever heard those voices? And then what's crazy, right? What's crazy 
Think about this process of deception. He will accuse you and condemn you of doing the thing you just did. You lost your temper. You said something you shouldn't have said. You got in your flesh. You acted in a way you shouldn't have acted, right? Because we've all been guilty of saying things, doing things that didn't look too much like Jesus. One of my favorite quotes, an old preacher named E.V. Hill, or not E.V. Hill, J. Vern McGee, he said this. He said, he said, if I really knew you like you know you, I wouldn't waste my breath preaching to you. He said, but hold on just a second, because if you really knew me like I knew me, you wouldn't waste your time listening to me. Because let's just be honest, all of us have those moments where we're not really proud of the way we acted or the things we did. And it's in those moments the enemy accuses us and condemns us. But then, think about this. He will accuse you and condemn you of doing the things you just did. And then he'll come in on the heels of that accusation and deceive you, try to deceive you into continuing in it. Well, you've already blown it now. There ain't no going back. Right? There ain't no going back. You're never going to get that back. You might as well not even try. Do y'all see the enemy in that? The voice of accusation, the voice of deception, manipulating and twisting truth. Let me just tell you something. God is not a manipulator. God is not a manipulator. God is not going to manipulate you, and he's not going to deceive you, and he's not going to trick you, and he's not going to try to control you. You and I have entered into a thing called Christianity, which is a love relationship with God. And I love what Satan did to Jesus because it gives us an insight of how he even works in our lives. He took him up on the, on the, on the top of the temple, and he said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. And then he does this. He quotes the Bible. Because it is written that he will give his angels charge over you, and you won't even dash your foot against a stone. Let me tell you what the devil will do. The devil will manipulate Scripture to deceive you and pull you away from God. That's why it's important that the Scripture says we need to know the whole counsel of God. You need to know the whole counsel of God. Why? Because Satan can take one Scripture and take it out of context and use it as a weapon of destruction to deceive you. Let me share a little personal testimony. Uh, years ago when Kelly was in the middle of battling depression, man, I was at the end of my rope. Anybody ever been there? And we were fighting this, what was a 10-year battle of depression, and it was one of those horrible days and one of those tough days, and I was in the Word, and I was praying, and I was crying out to God. And I read the Scripture where the demoniac, uh, his father brought him to the disciples. They couldn't cast out the demon. Jesus comes, cast out the demon, and they say, why couldn't we cast out the demon? And Jesus said, this kind only goes out by prayer and fasting. And I read that Scripture. When I read that Scripture, the devil said, I didn't know it was the devil at the time. The devil said, if you fast and pray, God has to heal her. God has to heal her. Because his word says that through prayer and fasting, demonic spirits are broken. So if you fast and pray, God has to heal her. That next morning, I went to God in my quiet time. And this is what I said. I said, God, I said, your word says that through prayer and fasting, demonic strongholds are broken. And I believe that depression Kelly went through, well, there was a demonic spirit attached to it. I said, God, I'm praying. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to fast until you heal her. And then I said this, I'm not going to eat anything until you heal my wife. 
and the Holy Spirit that, that fast. He said, you're going to starve to death and die. I mean, just that fast. God, I'm, I'm standing on your word. Your word says through prayer and fasting, demonic spirits are broken, so I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast until you heal her. God says you're going to starve to death and die. And then he said, I will not be manipulated. You're not going to twist my arm, God said, with my word. And then this is what he said. And here's the reason why, Keith. He said, I want to heal her worse than you want her healed. You don't have to make me heal her. I died and sent my son so she could be healed. And then he said, the problem's not with me. <laughs> the devil is a deceiver. God is not a manipulator, and he will not manipulate you, and he will not be manipulated. The voice of temptation is not the voice of God. I love James 1.13. Let no one say when he is tempted, he is tempted by God, because God tempts no man. Let me give you the definition or a real quick insight, the difference between a temptation and a test, because God will test you, but he won't tempt you. A, te a temptation is an enticement to sin. A test is an opportunity to do righteousness. A temptation is an enticement to sin. God is never going to entice you to sin. He's never going to dangle something and say, oh, here's the fruit I told you not to eat. Why don't you go ahead and eat it? That's not God. That's the devil. God will never tempt you to sin. He will test you by giving you opportunities to do what is right, but he will never tempt you with sin or with evil. The voice of temptation, anything that draws you away from God, his plan, his word, and his nature and his character is not the voice of God. Look at that next statement on your outline. Let's look at three other voices. The voice of comparison, competition, and condemnation are the wrong voices. The voice of comparison, competition, and condemnation are the wrong voices. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Look at that point on, your, on the outline. Comparison, competition, and condemnation are the wrong voices. The Apostle Paul said those who compare themselves and measure themselves among themselves are not wise. Guess what? If you're not wise, you're a fool. <laughs> it's a foolish thing. It's a sinful thing. Why? Because the enemy uses comparison and competition to rob us of the purpose and plan that God has for us. Comparison all the time. If you just had what they had, you'd be happy. If you had their family, if you had their spouse, if you had their job, if you had their money. If you just, if you just had more money, you'd be happy. Isn't it crazy that, that the enemy always compares us to other people and then somehow connects our happiness to having what they have? The truth today is most of us in this room are probably making more money today than you've ever made in your life. Maybe not everybody, but probably most of you. You're probably making more money today than you've ever made in your life. And guess what? You might be more miserable than you've ever been. You know why? Because money don't make you happy. Happiness is not the result of money. Happiness is the result of a right relationship with God. 
Joy comes from Jesus, amen? It doesn't come from stuff. I know a lot of people with a lot of stuff that aren't happy. Because comparison never ends. That, that voice of comparison cultivates a spirit of envy and jealousy. And all of a sudden you start becoming envious and you start becoming jealous of what other people have. Why? Because you're listening to the wrong voice. Well, if I just had what they have. And all of a sudden you start to think them having what you don't have somehow is robbing you of what God wants to give you. How many of you understand nobody controls my destiny but God? Right? I'm not a servant to your decisions. I'm a servant to God, and it is my decisions and my choices that determine whether I receive what God has for me, and you are irrelevant. <laughs> and the good news, I'm irrelevant to you in that element. I can't control God's blessing, and I can't withhold God's blessing because it all is determined by your response to God. But if you get caught up in that voice of comparison, you start comparing yourself, and all of a sudden, envy and jealousy begin to creep into your life. And then from comparison, we move into this place called competition, and we start competing against everybody else. And I've got to beat them, right? Because if I can make more money than them, or I can have more toys than them, or I can I do all this than them, then I'm going to be better than them. I'm going to just say, in the church world, it's so crazy. Pastors battle with comparison and competition all the time. And we got to compete against this church and compete against this church. And we got to have more people than they have and do better things than they do. I want to tell you something. That is not the voice of God. And let me share something. This morning as I was praying and studying for today, the, the Holy Spirit showed me something I'd never seen before. He said, Keith, do you realize that when comparison and competition are driving you, the people that I put in your life that were supposed to inspire you and help you are not able to. Because no matter what season you're in right now, hear me, no matter what season you're in, there's always somebody ahead of you. There's somebody that has more. And there's always somebody behind you, somebody that has less. Always. Doesn't matter. Spiritually, relationally, financially, there's always somebody ahead of you, and there's always somebody behind you. And this morning the Holy Spirit said, he said, Keith, the people in front of you and the people behind you are actually supposed to inspire you. He said, the people in front of you are supposed to inspire you to keep reaching for more not to compete with them and not to have what they have, but the revelation is if you can succeed, I can succeed. If you can have joy, I can have joy. If you can have peace, I can have peace. If you can prosper, I can prosper. Why? Because God's not a respecter of persons. Now, I may not prosper in the same way you prosper. But it doesn't matter. I can prosper if you can prosper. I can have joy if you can have, I can have a healthy marriage if you can have a healthy marriage. I can serve God if you can serve God. I can be used by God if you can be used by God. And the people in front of us are supposed to inspire us. But the Lord said, Keith, if you listen to the voice of competition, then the person that's supposed to inspire you and the person that's supposed to help you becomes your enemy. <laughs> Because now you compete against them instead of learning from them to grow and become more of what you should be or could be. And then last but not least, comparison and competition brings condemnation. Isn't it crazy how the devil works? Anytime you listen to the wrong voice, it's always a lose-lose. <laughs> because 
The devil will use comparison and competition to condemn you, right? He'll compare you to somebody else, and because you don't have what they have, he'll condemn you and make you feel bad because you don't have what they have, and you must not be as good as they are. And then once you obtain something, he'll condemn you because now you have stuff that other people don't have, and you should feel bad because you're living a good life, and they're not. I've been on both sides. I, I remember being where I didn't have enough, and I felt condemned because I didn't have enough. And now I'm on another side where I have more than enough, and the devil tries to condemn me for having more than enough and make me feel bad because my needs are met. Isn't that crazy? You know why? Because if you listen to the wrong voice, you always lose. The voice of comparison, the voice of competition, the voice of condemnation is never the voice of God. Look at that next point. Y'all still with me? So let's talk about the right voice for just a second. The right voice is the voice of truth. It's the voice of faith, hope, and love. This is the right voice. John 16, 13, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he will guide us into all truth. John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I want you to hear this. The problem is not that you're not hearing the voice of God. The problem is that you're not discerning the voice of God. Adam and Eve heard the voice of God. They just didn't discern it. They didn't discern that the wrong voice was the wrong voice and the right voice was the right voice, so they followed the wrong voice. Jesus said, if you're my sheep, you hear my voice. He's speaking to you. But the problem is our minds are so unrenewed that when we hear affirmation and confirmation, we hear God saying, I love you and I'm proud of you and you can do this and we're going to make it and things are going to change for good, we cast down the voice of God and we embrace the voice of condemnation, guilt and shame, and competition. Because the area of your struggle is the area in your life that is still unrenewed in your mind. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, these three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. I asked God, I said, Lord, how do we know the voice of truth? He said, well, number one, my word is truth. I'll never say anything. My voice will never contradict my verse. But then he said, Keith, what's eternal? 1 Corinthians 13 says, faith, hope, and love is eternal. They last forever. He said, Keith, the voice of truth is always a voice of faith. What is a voice of faith? The voice of faith is a voice of God that compels you to come to him. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith it's impossible to please God because they that come to God must believe that he is. Faith compels you to come to God. The voice of truth is a voice of faith that is constantly calling us up higher, calling us to the standard of God, calling us to righteousness, calling us to holiness, calling us to purity, calling us to generosity, calling us to compassion, calling us to forgiveness. Let me tell you something. The devil has never said you need to forgive them. Never. He's never said, show them compassion. He's never said, bless those who hate you and pray for those who curse you. No, God says that. See, it's the voice of truth. It's the voice of faith. It calls us up higher. It calls us under the presence of the Lord. It calls us under His righteousness and His holiness. It calls us into Him. John the Revelator heard the voice, said, come up here, come up here, come up here. That's what the voice of truth does. The voice of truth calls us to come up higher. The voice of hope, 
The voice of truth is a voice of hope. The word hope means an anticipation or expectation for good. Let me just say it to you like this. The voice of the enemy creates dread. The voice of the enemy, condemnation, accusation, deception, comparison, competition, it creates dread. Right? And all of a sudden you start saying, man, I dread going to work tomorrow. I got to see all those people I don't like. I dread going home. I dread paying the bills. I dread going to the grocery store. I dread going to church. I dread, I dread, I dread. If you're living in a place of dread, you're listening to the wrong voice. Because the voice of truth is a voice of hope that creates an anticipation that good things are going to happen. That doesn't mean there's not hard times, and that doesn't mean there's not hard people, and it doesn't mean you don't have to press through difficult seasons in your life, but it simply means this. When I listen to God's voice, it creates an anticipation that something good is going to happen to me even if I can't see it, even if I can't smell it, even if I can't touch it, even if I can't taste it. God has something good for me because He's given me a future and a hope through His Son Jesus, and if I'll just keep on keeping on after him, good things will happen. And the voice of truth is the voice of love. I shared this. It wasn't too long ago. I was, I was sitting at my, uh, our kitchen table. That's where I do my quiet time in the morning. And I just asked the Lord. I said, Lord, how do you see me? And he said, I'm pleased with you. I'm pleased with you. I want to tell you, He's pleased with you. He delights in you. He loves you. The voice of truth is a voice of love that says you have a place and you belong and you are significant and you are somebody and you are valuable and you are important. That's the voice of truth. Because it's the voice of love that affirms and confirms who you are in Him. All right, last point. Y'all listen with me. I want you to see this. The voice you echo is the voice that defines you. I told you at the very beginning, there's only one voice that has the right to define you, and that's the voice of God. But we also recognize that if we listen to the wrong voice, we will be defined by the wrong voice, and we will live the wrong life. The voice you echo is the voice that defines you. Why? Because if you believe it, you repeat it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13 says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. We believe and therefore speak. Matthew 12, 34 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The voice you echo is the voice that defines you, because if you believe it, you repeat it. You want to know what's in your heart? Listen to what's coming out of your mouth. And let me, let me just kind of prove it to you real quick. I know we're all Christians in this room, and nobody in here gossips, but we do take prayer requests. Right? No, nobody in here gossips, but we do take prayer requests. So this is how it kind of works. Have you ever had somebody tell you something about another person? And the moment you heard it, you're like, that's not true. I don't believe that. I know that person. I know their character. I know their integrity. I've been friends with them for 20 years. That is not true. I do not believe it. And you know what will happen when you don't believe what somebody tells you about somebody else? You won't repeat it. 
But if you ever had somebody tell you something about somebody and they start telling you, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I kind of been watching them lately. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see that. You know, they hadn't been in church and, you know, they kind of been struggling there. And, man, I hate to hear that. Boy, I'm really sorry they're doing that. Man, they're back out there doing all that bad stuff. Oh, that's horrible. I hate to hear that. And then what happens the next day you see somebody say, man, have you heard about Billy? Boy, I'm just telling you, you need to pray for him because he's back out there. Guess what? If you believe it, you repeat it. The voice you echo is the voice that defines you. Because if you want to know what's in your heart, Jesus said, listen to your mouth. So I want to challenge you. What are you saying? Nothing good ever happens to me. Nobody accepts me. I'm never going to get ahead. Nothing's ever going to change. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know why the world's against me. I don't know why God's against me. Who told you that? Who told you that? Who told you that God didn't love you? Who told you that His grace wasn't sufficient? Who told you that His redeeming work was not more than enough for your life? Who told you that you couldn't get up again and keep getting up because His mercies are new every morning and every day His grace is greater than any issue or any problem or any struggle in your life? Who told you? And today God's challenging us to discern the voices. Who told you that? If it's not the voice of truth, if it's not faith, if it's not hope, if it's not love, it's not God. It's not God. Let's bow our heads today. I want to challenge every person right now just to begin to evaluate the voices. Who told you? What voices have you been echoing that have been defining your life? And today, today we're going to repent. We're going to change the way we think. We're going to agree with God today. I'm not who the devil says I am. I am who God says I am. I'm not defined by the world. I'm defined by God who created me and loved me and gave his son for me. So I want to challenge you right now to go ahead and begin to evaluate every voice in your life. And I want to challenge you if you're here this morning. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus. Maybe you've heard the voice of religion. Maybe you've heard the voice of condemnation. Maybe you've heard the voice of accusation, but maybe you've never heard the voice of God saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, and I will forgive you, and I will cleanse you, and I will wash you whiter than snow. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. You've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, but today is the day. And maybe today for the first time you clearly heard the voice of God that He's not against you, that He is for you, and that He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross that you could be forgiven and freed and you could live forever in heaven with Him. If you want to receive that free gift today and accept the voice of God, which is the truth for your life, then I want to ask you to do something very simple but very powerful. Simple because you do it every day. Powerful because it's an act of faith. I want you just to stand up right where you're at. Today I want to accept the free gift of eternal life. I want to act upon the voice of God and accept Jesus as my Lord. If that's you right now, just stand. I want to accept Him today as my Lord and Savior. It's the voice of truth that's calling. God's saying, come up higher. Come up higher. I love you. I died for you. I sent my son Jesus to pave the way for you to have life. Come, come up higher. Father, we thank you today for your grace today. We thank you for the love and truth of your son Jesus. 
And we thank you for the verse and the voice that clarifies your word in our hearts that we can discern and decide every day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.